This time on TNT. Why did I, as a 10 year old terrible hockey player, need kangaroo tax? Hold on now, is the weekend yacht rock? And we do a deep dive on our dads. That's all coming up right now on TNT. Hello. There he is. How you doing, bud? TGIF, you know? TGIF, yeah, you know, just this Friday is, in it up. I don't know if you do this in your life, but sometimes when things come up at a time when you're like um, uh, kind of busy or like leading up to Christmas and stuff, I everything that came in, I was like, you know what? How's like second week of January? And people were like, oh, that sounds good. Yeah, oh, let's yeah. reconnect. And then suddenly all these things, like it's almost yeah. easier. We've said this before when you're on tour or something. The only job you have to do is get to the next place and put on a show. And it's almost easier when you're doing one big thing. Like I'm working on a movie all this week. But yeah. when you're doing a bunch of little things. Well, that's it. Because you know what you did. Is you punted it all, but that punt landed in the same space. You it all it landed in the same week. All yes, far, all far ahead, thinking, "Oh, this is good," but it ended up landing on the same day. Yes, <laughs> and I've had like it's been really fun. They were all things that I've kind of been looking forward to. Yeah, um, but it's it's uh, it's just been a lot, and a lot of the stuff has been um, like, uh, "Will you be a podcast guest on?" my show or can we interview you about whatever will you uh, show up for this thing and it's flattering to be asked and all that stuff but it's a lot of thinking and thinking on your feet and sharing of ideas and stuff and it's all great but it is sneaky tiring for sure well it's like yeah you turn if it's you create a press day and yeah there's nothing more uh i guess mind-numbing than answering a question for a long period of time. Well, especially, thinking, I can imagine when the question is, tell me about the record, like that broad. Oh, well, yeah. And I was always, I always tried to never do the same interview twice. Like I thought I didn't want to re-say the same things, even though I'm sure I did a lot of times to, to for certain things to get points across. But um, it's not fun if you uh, do the same thing over and over. So you try to at least think of something brand new every time yes or at least a new way of saying it because yeah it's going to be the same question over and over you just have to find a way to make it interesting i I got to the point where i was probably not a great interview uh around 2007 to 12 or 14 or something like that why because it was just well, because I, I was always kind of just doing interviews to for only that, and I was tired of the same questions, so I was probably just, I would just go in a direction on my own and po- talk about things that had nothing to do with what the question was on purpose. Right. Non sequitur so, guy. Like the thing that landed yeah. me the reputation as, of being the worst guest in the history of, uh, what was it called? Off the Record. Because I was, oh, well, I was pre-produced to be a, uh, a non-sequitur a guy. A mute, though, was, was the problem, wasn't it? You just didn't say anything. He, that's like the worst thing you can do on off the record is not saying. Well, anything. no, I think I stopped him in his tracks a couple times, like just by saying <laughs> well, for like a joke, though. Yeah, yeah, for went for the joke. jokes. I was like, yeah, uh, that's, I was in the Tom no. Green lane, and yeah. I remember him looking at me like, "What are you doing, bro?" <laughs> but I've been thinking about this a lot, and. <laughs> Um, it's been nice to be asked to be, uh, a guest on these things, but I, I think, uh, I think I've been thinking a lot about time and when people ask of your time and how that's part of the gig and I'm happy to do it. But I think the thing that I've realized is when someone is asking a favor of you, it's the old, I'm going to buy you a coffee and pick your brain. Mm -hmm. And my feeling is I don't need coffee. I need time. I have my own coffee. But if you're asking me for a favor or some information, I feel like it's up to me to determine how that works best. Yeah. And the number of people who, and again, it's really nice to be asked, but I probably get asked three or four times a week to go as a guest on people's podcasts, and it's super flattering. It's nice that they want to have me on. 
but most of them are an hour. And that's a not insignificant ask of somebody's time, right? So you start to suddenly think like, I did five podcasts this week for an hour each one. That's a lot of time and and energy to give, just give away. There you go. Yeah. Well, I... I, uh... And I, I, that's the thing. It's that's why it has to be a, a, a conversation that you know you're going to enjoy. That's why maybe I used to do five a week, and now I'll do one one a month. Yeah, I do get asked a lot, and this isn't to slight anybody that has been trying to get me on for the last what a year or whatever. Because if you know if you're out there, keep trying. And I'm sorry for a lot of the times, but sometimes I just. I have that same feeling where I, I, I uh, if the conversation is going to be something for an hour that I'm just not going to, it's going to be too much of a thing, then yeah, you just kind of don't do it. But I, well, that's exactly <laughs> right? the thing. And I, I think that, I think the best, um, the best kind of conclusion I've arrived at is to say either, like, obviously if the girls are home or it's a weekend, an hour away from my family to uh, be a guest on your podcast is probably not a choice that I would choose to make. So, uh, either do it at a time that works for me or, uh, reduce the ask again. I know how I'm rolling my own eyes. As I say this, it was just something that I realized this week when time seemed to be, especially at a premium. Wow. I am giving a lot of it away. And the other thing is if you're asking someone and professionally, I encourage this. I really support the idea of mentors, and I believe people helped me when I was starting somewhat, answer my questions and stuff. I'm happy to do the same. But if it's answers to questions you would like from me, I think when and how you get those should be up to the person you're asking. Because maybe the person you're yep. asking can shoot you an email at 11 o'clock at night, but maybe they don't want to take two hours to meet for coffee. There you go. Yeah, and that's I think that's also why I've stopped kind of doing more of those things because I've actually become more talkative to people on like Instagram or whatever. You know, if someone has a question or has a reaction, I'll I'll reply now whereas before I would just kind of not look. Right. So, yeah, I think with the uh subtraction of more public things i definitely have added more personal one-to-one interaction for sure yeah yeah, it's but you know back and forth man yeah and obviously things come along that ring your bell or speak to you or um you know people having specific problems and you think you can help then um yeah always happy to do that stuff because that's no different than when i'm talking to my neighbor about something that's life Right, for sure. Well, and I always say we're so critical about how we spend money, but we don't give the same thought about how we spend our time. And I think especially in the past year when we have not been able to do so many of the things that we used to or always like to do, now yeah. when I like I'm I'm getting a little uh protective. I'm sure it has to do with, you know, the girls growing up fast and everything happens so fast and you want to hit the pause button, but um, now I'm just trying to be more critical about if I had an hour to myself, is that how I would choose to spend it? That's it. There you go, bud. So, li- so listen, I was in the car the other day. Oh, here we go. Around, and I heard the new weekend. Or I don't know if it's new, but it's it's definitely on the radio every 10 minutes. That Over Now song. It's Calvin Harris with The Weekend. I don't know. I don't know if it's Cal- he wrote it, The Weekend with this Calvin Harris guy. And, and I was listening to it. <laughs> it's kind of like a mellow, like... Well, it's all night long drums so far. No, well... Even with the... The, the, the bass slaps. Like, it's totally... it's. Okay, right there, they were like, I can just tell what's going on here in the studio. They were like, let's cap, cop this, slow this down. This is it right here. Like, slowing it down. I would like to I, remind I, you. I keep forgetting Michael McDonald. Whoa. 
even with the slaps. And, and then when he really, like when it's going off at the end here, the bass is more prominent. So wait a sec, is this your argument that The weekend is Yacht Rock? I'm saying it's buffed up, hit, it's more current, It's but it's the same vibe. Check it out. It's the same song. <laughs> okay. So, the girls and I... Uh, I mean, I, 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 it's not the same. It's the vibe for sure, but it's not. It's different notes and melodies, not the same. But I'm saying like, it's it's there and it's inherent. But it's just funny how, because uh, again, that's like Jeff Picaro and all those bad bad cats in the studio just crushing it. And I'm sure that's a live bass track on that song. Well, this is why now. I was surprised. So it's to- it's kind of. I appreciate it. I like it. I'm down with okay. with, with it. Because I was yeah. just going to remind you that you were quick to come to the weekend's defense when I was like, it's a B-side of the spoons. No, but I'm like saying that. I'm ding, down ding, with ding, it. No, ding, I, ding. There's nothing new I, about it. No, I could just see him like in the car listening to Michael Do- McDonald and being like, I will fuck with this. Let's get this going. <laughs> or how about or Michael Jackson, too. <laughs> Sure, but like that's kind of more inherent in his voice. But this is like a cop with a capital C, man. The, but I, I dig it. He's man. copping I'm, a I, feel. I, <laughs> the girls and I were um, talking about music, and I think I've told you before. Like Michael Jackson was the guy from the popcorn gif, and I was like, okay, well, we have to pull the thread on that sweater. So we started with here's the moment on the AMAs when Michael Jackson did the moonwalk. Like, oh like yeah, Michael Jackson. I remember that. I, I do too. That moment, yeah. So it was like Michael Jackson was the prince of pop, but he started like, oh, and then he had this place called Neverland. So he looked at Neverland, and he had a, this chimp called Bubbles, and we showed him that. And that's that's when thing you should stop. Okay, but story. this is this was the thing. So they said, why did he act like that? And I was like, all right, we're doing this. So he was a star when he was a kid. We watched I Want You Back and a- ABC and. Uh, ben, the song that he was singing for his rat, and it's it's going really well. And then Shug was like, well, can I see the video of, of his Neverland Ranch? So we're watching a video, and it's like, this is the foyer. And then some of the accusers said, and it was like, well, what are accusers? And it was like, oh my, oh my gosh. Yeah. And yeah, Well, honestly, this this is turned, it, it, with Michael Jackson, it goes from talking about this iconic bop guy into a stranger danger conversation, man. Super fast. So you got to go there then. It's like, okay, here we go. I know, but it, watch out. My favorite moments of parenting are like any wormhole when it starts with this was the moonwalk and ends with this is Nipplegate. And that's what happened because we were talking about like, oh, by the way, his sister Janet was a big star in her own right. She might be most famous in the end for something that happened with Justin Timberlake. But but watching them put together like, well, wait a sec, The weekend is just kind of trying to be Michael Jackson? Like, yeah, exactly, he is. So I it, never understood how, how her career went down so much after that when it was totally just a stupid thing that was manipulated by the media to happen and a, a press opportunity. But like she was like crushed. Janet Jackson, Justin, yeah, Justin Timberlake went the other way even more, skyrocketed. I just never understood how she took such a backlash for that. You know, it's in it's a few years ago now, obviously. But in my head, I had it that she was kind of already on the downward spiral. Not when that Super Bowl wasn't she? That wasn't like Rhythm Nation. It was after no, but that. she still she still had that same, maybe not exactly, but the same potency of Michael. Where it doesn't matter what she did, she was always going to be in the public eye, up there with up, you know, like Beyonce or Britney Spears forever. And it's it's I mean it's probably similar like that now, but I just don't understand why she took a fall when in the end it actually 
was just like a, a you know a marketing faux pas to be honest like really well when we started to look into Janet Jackson and I was looking up her songs I kept waiting for the one that you're like oh yeah this was an awesome song and I think it's safe to say and fair to say she wasn't exactly Michael she was a decent dancer and had some okay tunes but she no, but wasn't she on the same a, plane no but she had a, a huge arc of success no question same in, like in, in that that is uh, no different than Madonna or anyone else that's still kind of at the same level I just don't understand I feel like she got kind of played by the media at the after all that. But it's it's interesting through their eyes, like their questions were obviously like, was Michael Jackson the biggest star in the world at the time? And if not, who else was kind of in that uh, stratosphere? And so I was like, well, Madonna definitely was. And Whitney Houston was probably in that stratosphere. And I would argue kind of Duran Duran was that big at that time. Well, in the, in the eight, you mean in like 1984 Four, to yeah. Is, yeah, for sure, definitely. Yeah, yeah. so then that, when they're, like basically, it, it's like give me the Coles notes on Madonna. All right, well, Madonna is, I would argue, kind of most uh, notable for reinventing herself, like where a lot of bands don't, segue naturally from style to style she was kind of ahead of the curve and if madonna did something that was new people were like well i guess that's the cool thing now like she was kind of a uh style maker as much as a singer right she's a pretty good singer well i think her strength is knowing what's cool yeah yeah she was on the first wave of the like mtv like the visual element that's why she always hires the best songwriters, the best producers. She's always working with the coolest people in the business, usually before anybody has heard of them. And uh, that's why all her pop music, even though like you could say she's you know like a mediocre singer, not a great singer, but the production was always like whoa, like that's completely different. Like, yeah. Always, like it was always on the forefront of production where it's like, you know, for like when you hear a new Ariana Grande song, it's sonically different and it's always, or Beyonce, there's always something on the production level that's like uh, cutting edge. And that's the thing that Madonna definitely has. I found... You know, like a a great A&R person or someone at a record company that can tell you what a song is going to be a hit or what artist has the the right type of charisma, etc. I found that conversation about Michael Jackson hard to navigate because um, everything you say, like trying to be uh, sort of uh, generic and vague, because I I really don't want to introduce that subject matter to the girls but they're like yeah well what is peter pan syndrome and why did he act that way and so to a degree some of it is like well he achieved an extraordinary amount of success at a very young age and everywhere he went people just kind of catered to his every whim and it doesn't make it okay but sometimes as an adult he was a little entitled and we just watched home alone and there was a picture of him and macaulay culkin and they're like well what was their relationship like whoa whoa how did how did we get here but, so you haven't meant you didn't did you mention that he was acting inappropriately to kids? Yes, in the most broad yeah. strokes. Like I, I said, he had a lot of kids around all the time, and um, he said that they were his friends. But a lot of other people said that uh, his relationships with them were inappropriate. And the they, magic juice stuff, giving them wine—that's not. Cool. Oh, I didn't get to that. I'd forgotten that sleepovers in his bed without the parents like that's not cool right yeah yeah obviously as a grown-up i know what well, yeah, went on and what like, yeah, wasn't cool but i was i was trying to nerf gives a kid an idea right if they hear that stuff like yeah that's not cool I, like imagine your parents like you that them saying you guys letting them go away for a weekend with somebody no and sleep in their bed like that's a red flag that some parents let go yeah 
which is pretty uh well, I feel that, like that's scary. I feel like some of the children were maybe kind of vulnerable or didn't have the right parental supervision to begin with and it was kind of opportunistic in that way. Anyway, the, the it's an age-old debate. How do you talk well, about think- an artist who's done terrible things and what impact does that have on your perception of their art? Well, he had the ability to be like, well, I have this huge house with all these staff, so your kid will be here. It's like Disneyland. So they thought, okay, so they're going to be like a little camp area with other kids, probably. Yeah. And there's going to be probably supervisors there. Whereas that's what he was telling them. But in reality, he was, uh, you know, sleeping with them by himself. And he also was very manipulative with whatever kids were his favorites he he would start to build hugely strong relationships with that kid's parents oh wow feel like he's oh that's just michael he's all you know calling them all the time and giving them you know gifts and just telling them how much he loves them and such a great family they are and just unbelievable stuff well the the movie uh i think it was this is it did you see it? Like not not the documentary, but the movie towards the, <clears throat> the end of his life. The one about his concert. Thing? Yeah, no, I didn't see that. But at I the time, sure. I remember seeing it and thinking, "Wow, we spent so much time in the last ten or fifteen years, as far as Michael Jackson goes, talking about him wearing pajamas, dancing on top of a limo." It was cool to see that he was still very firmly in control of his music and live shows and dancing. And aside from all the the terrible stuff as a person. He was very, very in control as a musician. And all the interviews with oh, the musician no and his band were like, man, Michael knows exactly what's up. And at, at the time I was thinking, that that's so cool that he's, you know, he's still got it together when it comes to music. But the second thought there is, if he had it that together when it came to music, then he knew exactly what he was doing in the rest of his life too. Oh yeah, a master genius. Well, with music, yeah. I mean, he knew... He knew as much about music as Stevie Wonder does. You know, um, he might not be able to pick up an instrument and play like Prince, but his ability to know rhythm and melody and uh, probably, well, he had perfect pitch and he heard, well, the ability alone just to hear rhythm and be able to get somebody to start feeling rhythm, that's an art form in itself and he had that in spades like he just could like find a, an, an interesting groove and build on it where do you put prince in that conversation is prince a, is he a peer like, of michael jackson or was he did he not quite achieve that level no it's it's like comparing picasso and monet and van gogh they're all different paths but they've all achieved their goal as you know where it doesn't matter after a certain extent of better anymore it's just it's like food really a a perfectly cooked potato versus something else that tastes great (laughs) you know what i mean like it doesn't matter what you it's not about that it's it's uh, the artistry and the acceptance of how how that the, the those people achieve that on their own and you can't compare it there's no better I think that there, it's almost uh, like if to take two paintings from impressionists and say which one's better. It's almost like uh, who's the idiot in the room? It's the people saying who's better. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's almost so ignorant to think of that as a concept between two geniuses. It's it's uh, it's like saying who's stronger or something. It's just so minuscule a thought. But do you know any any stories of the two of them being in the same place? Prince and Michael Jackson. Yeah, yeah. Remember the what are you playing the bass up in my face? Yeah, they 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 had a thing like they butted heads. They weren't they didn't get along because they probably uh, they wanted to be the best person (laughs) always around. Maybe I don't know, and maybe they were. Um, I think probably at the end of the day, they absolutely respected each other, but they had a, they had a, like a, a natural competitiveness that was, couldn't, couldn't go. I think if you ever see him shop, you ever see that one of Michael Jackson shopping? Yes. Like going, 
and he's buying like millions of dollars worth of stuff. Like it's it's the most opulent thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Like the way he's talking about stuff. I'm like, well, I, I can imagine Prince the way he was probably not being cool on that. If that's the way the conversation's going, <laughs> you know, like, let's just talk about stuff that's expensive and who's the best at everything. I don't, I don't know if that's what Michael was like, but that little uh, wandering through talking about how expensive things were and uh, it was just gross to watch. But like you have experienced fame on a level of uh, uh, Our Lady Peace and that that's not insignificant. Now multiply that by 10 million yeah. And try to wrap your head around what that would feel like. Like he, <laughs> well, you he know couldn't what? go I anywhere mean, on the I planet know. Earth. But he was uh, that, and I, I could further it with Prince. Like I think Prince was probably one of the coolest musicians ever. His his problem was he he had an issue with 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 pills and and taking drugs. But he was a great person and did a lot for people and did a lot of. Uh, uh, you know, philanthropy and help people that people don't even know about. So, I mean, that's a completely type of different type of person. Michael Jackson at that time when he was shopping was living a life of lies and taking advantage of people all the time and kids. So like that guy at the end of the day is a despicable person. So, you know, like it's to compare, sure. Legendary musician, wonderful skill, but I mean, as a person, he kind of gave up that idea of being normal probably in the late 70s or something. I don't know if it was his upbringing, but there's no, there's nobody you can blame but him, but him for that kind of stuff. Well, the other thing that was very striking to my children about Michael Jackson is obviously looking at him in Jackson 5 and then looking at a picture of him at the end of his life, it was very clear that he was never really happy with his appearance and went to great pains and drastic measures to change how he looked from pigmentation color to nose to eye shape to chin dimple and all that stuff but that's got to be all tied into it as well like obviously not happy in his own skin just a mind full of like demonic thoughts man yeah. Just terrible stuff. Crazy stuff. Back in the 90s, when everything was expensive, right? Back in the 90s, man. <laughs> you were you started this, um, this uh, chat topic on the internet sometime in the last seven to ten days. And what were some yeah. of the um, what were some of the outrageous oh, costs of things you were well, flagging? Yeah. I just, yeah, I started it out with, like, I bought a TV, I think it was, like, a Sony XBR floor model, like, I don't know, 40 inches, not that big, but it was super heavy and had the big crazy picture tube or whatever it was, but it was, like, five to six grand or something in 96 or 95, and I just can't feel that, just thinking back, the stuff was so expensive, and people started replying in droves of stuff, like, uh, you know, one guy was, you know, remember how TVs were, th- the plasmas were 10 grand? The th- when they first came <laughs> out, they were 10,000 bucks. Did you have one? And, no, I, I got the XBR right because that was five grand instead of the 10 grand skinny one. And it wasn't that much bigger, the, the plasma. The, and laptops were super expensive. Someone had like a $6,000 laptop. I remember spending the same around for like a Toshiba laptop at, at a future shop. So it's not like I went to some fancy computer store to get it all ramped up. Uh, home stereos were like three grand. Sony, remember the Sony skipless Walkman? That was 450 bucks. No way. Yes. For CDs or for cassettes? The CD skipless Walkman. Remember it had the little logo? Wow. And it was the oh, yellow one. Oh yeah, like one. shockproof or something. Yeah, and then they had the they had the one that was waterproof too, right? With all the gums and surrounding everything. <laughs> Those were like five hundred bucks 
30 bucks for a CD. CDs were $30. Is that what they like cost? Big, big shiny tunes in like, you know, in Saskatoon in 1996 or whatever it was like 30 bucks. Like, what the hell, man? The gravy train. Jeans were like $200 for like those, the diesels or the... Edwin the French stars. baggies? <laughs> you you have a good story about spending yeah. money. It was after this was I, I didn't well, wait because because Jonavision like was like you must have bought some stuff in the late nineties when you were like living downtown. No, come on. No, Don't you remember it? <laughs> Just the skates. Ah, uh, anything was expensive. I didn't go off on on buying stuff. It's not going off though. That like that's the other thing. It wasn't like at the time it's it didn't feel like too much money. It just felt like, well, that's how much this costs. I you know? I ate out all the time and that's probably where I threw away all kinds of money. Yeah. But I remember I didn't take advantage of my single parent uh existence very often. But not too long after my dad died, I was probably nine, and I started playing hockey really late. And after my dad died, I uh, would tie my skates in the kitchen and put skate guards on and walk through the field to the rink. So by the time I got there, I was super ankly, and other parents offered to tighten them. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm fine. Don't worry about it, because I was so proud. Um, what were they? Huh? What the skates? What were they? Oh yeah, so this is this is me taking advantage of my poor single mother at the time. Um, she sent me to get skates for myself because I outgrew them because boys' feet grow every four months at that age. Yeah, and I got it was at Proud's. It was a Proud Shoes in the Sherwood Sportsplex in Charlottetown. <laughs> I got kangaroo tacks. So they were CCM like, Tax hockey skates made of, they might have been called Tackaberry, like some super... Kangaroo leather? It was kangaroo leather because it was extra stretchy and extra absorbent to sweat. Like a kid playing fourth line on Adam D League, house league <laughs> okay. hockey with like Ferraris <laughs> on his feet. And I forget how much they were at the time, like $600 or something what? preposterous. So did you like buy it with a, a, a credit card or something? And your mom was like, what the hell did you do? I don't remember the specifics. Like, the only thing I remember is her saying, are you, sh it seems like a lot of money for skates. And I was like, well, skates cost what they cost, I guess. Because I had my heart set on them. It was a pretty exploitive. Like, but I did not need kangaroo taps. <laughs> I'm surprised they made them in such small sizes, those crazy skates. Well, the other thing is, and maybe it was a little later, because by grade four, I had size 12 feet. So I started oh, slouching God. prematurely because I thought I was going to be like Manute <laughs> Bowl. I thought so I was going to be like, like seven feet tall. You had a pair of kangaroo tacks that have been used like four times and you outgrew them. Yeah, so I wish I had them now. For 600 bucks. Yeah, like Byron, you you selling on Byron? We yeah. probably put them on the swap shop. <laughs> kangaroo tax, you buy them for sixty dollars. Well, I was just sixty. I was just googling kangaroo tax, and it does come up. Um, Tacaberry, I think, was the model. There it is. Throwback oh, Thursday, kangaroo skin tax. They're beautiful wow. skates. <laughs> Are they like dark brown, like? Do they look like kangaroo leather? No, but they have a big T like on the toe. It it was way overshooting the runway. I'm gonna send you this picture of these kangaroo tacks that I just found. It's, okay, we'll use that as the picture yeah. Pod. The picture is like um, CCM hockey Thursday Thirsty Thursday throwback, like one of those. Remember oh, these? Man. Yeah. Yeah. Kangaroo tacks. <coughs> What did oh, you ever man. exploit your parents to get when you were a kid? Uh, baseball gloves. Same kind. It's always sports equipment when you can push it. But yeah, I had a set of pony cleats that were, uh, they weren't 600 bucks, but they were expensive. Like steel cleats. Pony, was that the, the brand? Yeah, they were a good, ba the baseball shoe to have in the 80s. 
The ponies. Well, I talked about this in our book a little bit. Um, Like, navy Adidas rugby pants with white stripes or red stripes were the cool ones. And for Christmas, I got gray Adidas rugby pants with navy stripes. Everyone had... what I had? What? You know what I had? Me and Jet, (laughs) we had the... The gray with purple stripes. Ugh. Just like outcasts. Well, you know the Adidas, I would call it a kit bag, like sort of <laughs> yeah. vinyl yeah. shiny leather. The shiny with the big, yeah, with the logo yep, on Yeah, they were wicked. Everyone, you the probably had one as like a drumstick case, did you? Uh, no. I could see you as one of those hipstery uh, deals. I did have it. I had the, I had the truffle gym bag for sure. What is it called? The Truffle. That's the name of that logo, the classic Adidas with the three. It's called what? The Truffle. How have I never known that's what it was called? Maybe because my bod, John Kawaja at Adidas, told me. Crazy. (laughs) Because we actually, like, when he was uh, working for Adidas, he used to hook me up all the time with vintage. Adidas. Can you spell that, please? Like truffle, truffoil. Well, I, let me let me uh, look it up. Yeah, because it could be uh, German. Truff. Right? I'm just looking. Trefoil. T r e f o i l. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Is it? It's German, right? Trefoil. Trefoil meaning. A small European plant of the pea family with yellow flowers <laughs> and three-lobed clover-like oh, yes. leaves. What? There you go. Yeah. There's a learn something new every day. I did not know that, sir. Oh, I didn't know how to... Well, I think it's trefoil is how you say it. Um, everyone had the red bag with the navy trim or the navy bag with the white trim. I had the silver bag with navy trim. Oh. And everyone had yeah, like the- Scooby-Doo lunchboxes. I had a thermos lunchbox, like Battleship Gray working man's thermos. My first day of school, I had a, I think I had a Happy Days lunchbox with like the whole gang and the fawns. Oh, that would front. be cool. <laughs> yeah, with the plastic clips, big, huge, open it up, had the big thermos. Oh, yeah. You were a kid that moved around a lot, and I had my sh- uh, share moving around, too. What year did you ever feel like, I'm, I'm actually pretty cool this year? I fit in pretty good. I have some friends this year. <clears throat> well, because uh, well, I, I think I went to six different schools between kindergarten and grade eight. So I was always new, and uh, I always kind of what my thing was like fit in no matter how you have to do it, just fit in fast. <laughs> yeah. So. I so how did you do that? Fight more, people? Uh, not sometimes. Like sometimes you had to be aggressive and say things, and it was more like make fun of them and and make people laugh and so they feel you know what i mean like make call somebody something that's really harsh or funny in front of people so they all laugh and you look they they look like a baby if they hit you at that point because they're they're punching you (laughs) because you know what i mean instead of being one-on-one in the in the in the in the schoolyard with them did you That's ever get your butt kicked? Get over bullies. No, I never. I, I, I never. Like, if I ever got into a fight, I would be like, I'd be like the get. You know, put the guy in a headlock for twenty minutes. Fight. Right. I never liked Same. to punch people in the face or hit people, so I would just either grab them and hold them until they stopped, or maybe they would realize it's just futile or I never got punched out or anything but I would always kind of go to grappling I guess was the move yeah pinning <laughs> yeah and yeah I, I never and I honestly being the new kid I didn't get in a lot of fights because I was always uh, I always let things go because 
I got I, that was the best thing that I learned was just not hearing stuff people said because uh, if you do and you think about it, it really sucks and it hurts. And uh, it's best to just kind of realize um, that, that you're new, they have no idea who you are, and they're kind of designed to say these things. And uh, you're kind of fighting the system because I guess in the natural selection of things, it's usually the grouchy, mean, bossy people that get ahead because they're pushing people around all the time. But I always felt that if you let those people do their thing and kind of uh, quietly let other people around you, the more meek people give, you know, kind of giving them strength. Uh, Usually it was the class clowns against the bullies generally, right? And you and I were probably in the class clown side. Yep. So we would use humor to kind of uh, make the other person look stupid, but in the most safe way possible without getting into fights this is so yeah you kind of you have to you have to uh strengthen the core of other people to to give yourself a chance otherwise you're gonna be that person who's gonna be picked on all the time and that's okay too because that happens sometimes and that happened to me the later i got like by the time i was in high school in grade nine i felt like that person because i was in toronto it was a massive high school uh, it was the first time I went from Barry, so it was the first time I'd seen like real huge population in a school, people coming and going all the time. I felt so out of it that the only friends I made were not like either drummers that were way older than me or guys in other schools. So I think that's why my high school years weren't great because I, I uh, really uh, had a d- tough time socially for sure. <clears throat> I think um, something that uh, is really interesting about you is I have never seen circumstances change your mood. And I know you've said this about like, um, you know, buses breaking down and stuff happening that was beyond your control. But we've spent a considerable amount of time on the road together. You never get like we've talked about it before. I'm hot, hungry, tired, irritable. It's usually an easy fix. But when stuff goes sideways or gets canceled or isn't what you hoped or what the plan was, your heart rate doesn't change. Yeah. Would you say that's because that's who you are or because 20 it's years of traveling with, has, has made you that way? To do with, it's got to do with my dad being so aggressive. Ah. Yeah. I've seen the worst. So I, like, I can't, I've seen people act beyond what i've seen on television so wow that that to me is what kind of grounded me on people you know and it's so close you know from hiding in closets holding your ears from as early as i could do that you know because of hearing aggression and yelling that's just uh, awful and I yell too because I don't even and I don't even know I'm yelling <laughs> you know so my kids have been great to tell me dad you're yelling and I'm like I don't think I'm yelling but they're like yeah you're yelling you have to stop yelling <laughs> I'm like sorry wow but yeah th- that's what it is it's just seeing uh, pe- you know that type of anger when it's not necessary consistently and then when you see it out in public it's just not it's almost like comedic in terms of the difference like i remember maida yelling and screaming at somebody at a thing somebody might find that to be like upsetting i just thought it was funny because compared to the real yelling that you'd endured that was not threatening or it was a nervous yeah. reaction. Or? I'm like, that ain't that ain't yelling. That isn't you even yelling, yelling, right? <laughs> it's almost like in in Goodfellas when Joe Pesci's like hitting that guy and <laughs> Ray Liotta's laughing. Right, he's like he should not be laughing right now. They're so desensitized <laughs> it's, to it. It's, yeah, this is not funny. <laughs> okay, so it's obviously yeah. very different than 
Michael Jackson, the musician, versus Michael Jackson, who he was in private. But you are, you have fond memories of your dad and loved him and all that stuff. How do you reconcile that against the anger stuff? Because it's, his anger was toward himself first and foremost, you know? Right. And he couldn't stop it. So, you know, he didn't beat my mom. He didn't beat anybody. So at least there's that, but... What he said is just as bad, and the yelling and the screaming is just as bad. Do you but, think he was tangling with stuff that we now have names for? That well, I think it uh, that it he took didn't a long realize. Time. It took a long time because I used to think that he it was us, and that's why he was angry. But it, it there was a Christmas, uh, like a, a, about eight or ten years ago, when he just got. You know, he got, he never really drank and he got drunk and he just was started becoming such an, an asshole that my brother literally had to restrain him at the front of the house. And for the first time ever, he could restrain him and hold him back. Whoa. And that was a big moment too. Just my dad realizing it's, you know, can't do that anymore. But just to see that, uh, I noticed that night, I was like, fucking, the guy can't stand himself. That's his biggest problem. <laughs> and that's was a big relief to me because I, you know, I, I was like, well, if he hates himself that much, of course he's going to treat others the same when he's in that, that type of a space. Hmm. You know? So that to me was kind of uh, understand, it helped me to understand that. But, you know, uh, it's still there. You know, it's still something that happened. Why do you think he hated himself? Um, uh, well, his dad was a thousand times worse when he drank. When he was a drunk, a terrible drunk that beat up his mother. Hmm. You know, so he grew up seeing his mother beaten from this person who was like what my grandmother used to say even after he was long gone she said it that he was the love of her life and she you know he was a great person and an amazing person but as soon as he started drinking it became a nightmare and uh that's why they went from scotland to the bronx in the 50s for a fresh start as a family and he still that didn't work for him he still continued to to drink and beat them so they came to Toronto that's when my parents met later after that but um they came to uh Toronto in the in the 60s and uh they left they left my grandfather there he, had, he actually ended up going into a hospital you know like that kind of an alcoholic where you're you can't even do anything. You're in a bed and he died of water on the brain. No way. Yeah, like just drunk tank styles. So in a, I imagine he didn't have much to live for after they left. In a way, it, it's, it's a weird sentence in a way, but the fact that your dad wasn't physically abusive is pretty amazing, considering that was the reference well, point that, that he had... Yeah, like he like he a, broke a, that cycle. That's good. It's a consolation, definitely. Yeah, but uh, yeah, he. I can't imagine what he had to deal with, and uh, but uh, you know, I think it also had to do with that he had a lot of talent and um, didn't know how to. Uh, he had great talent and artistry, but he couldn't didn't have the business side of it. You know, like he couldn't. Uh, didn't like he could do great things in art, yet he couldn't, you know, find art dealers or a, a person to sell it or all that kind of stuff. The continuation of in history when you see someone who's really good at something yet can't connect the business side, it's, it's out there. I'm sure you've seen it. Yeah. So aside yeah. from drumming, it, he made those. Um, is it plaster? Sort of, uh, yeah, scenes, yeah, the clayscapes he called them, yeah. So, I mean, where did he get the great. ability to make those in his head? He just kind of conjured up the he, he was always a history buff and he would, uh, 
And he worked at Sears for like 20-something years and then was laid off there, and that's when he started doing art and uh, clay making. And he was... he the, His first stuff that he did, they, the uh, Globe and Mail put it on the front cover of the art section of this movement called Outsider Art. So, like, when he first started, he had a huge buzz about his work and uh, just didn't follow that side of things you know they ended up moving up north and he did a few commission projects that just you know again business stuff wasn't working out where he's easier to just make a bunch of pieces and buy them as opposed to like someone's like hey can you make this kind of thing for me and this will give you this and just <laughs> Couldn't adapt on that side, right? Like the freelance part. Right. So, and then frustration. Uh, I guess the... Because the, from music, smashing his drums, to countless other attempts at things, from games to, to books to stories to screenplays that were all really good ideas that just ended up getting torn apart. That cycle kind of had taken its course, so... Uh, he didn't start taking medication till about 10 years ago. And he felt great once he started taking no medication. No way. Yeah. So did he like ever allude to like, my... was he ever like, hey, sorry about that, man. Things I know things were a little hectic back in the day. Oh, yeah. No, he would, co- no, he would call, he would mention it a week later sometimes, you know, if something happened, like he, upsetting, he would, you could tell he was sorry. Um, but I think I, you know, that's that, that that's my personal uh, relationship with him. I, like I'm not sure if it's the same with my sister Jenny and you know, or James when they were when they were younger. Because I think he was more difficult in the '70s because I guess because he was playing music and that wasn't that, you know. It was towards the end of that when that wasn't working, and he just started working at Sears. So I'm sure there was a cloud of depression in those days. <clears throat> did he but, have uh, big aspirations in music? Do you think? I did fame I drive think as him? He got, no, but but he got as he got older in life, he definitely had a lot of. Um, he definitely felt sorry for a lot of the things, and you know, he I, I was glad I could talk to him a couple times about things um, where he was just really cool and you know uh supportive and and said kind of real dad like things that you don't really hear <laughs> hmm. so, yeah but this it's funny that those that happened right before he was gone so must have had to happen for a reason well it's nice that it happened before he was gone the rap on yeah, my dad was sure. always um uh, he had two sisters. Let me see if I get this right. He had two sisters that were like 10 and 12 years older than him. And I think he had an older brother and maybe the brother died. So when he was born, all these years later, he was the apple of everyone's eye. And people don't know your dad was an, a navigator? Yeah, he was a navigator. He was in the... Um, yeah. Well, he, he left home at 13 in the Merchant Navy in England. And one of the mm. things that my sister actually has is a 78 record that he recorded in Australia, I think on that first trip. Imagine being like wow. 13 or 14, you get to Australia, you go and stop into a little place that'll rip a 78 for you. And it's just like yeah. a, a verbal uh, diary, like, how nice it would be to be home now that Churchill is there. Like that sort of thing. <laughs> no way. That's um, crazy. So he ended up coming to Canada and he was in the uh, uh, Canadian Air Force. Um, but the 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 sort of... And again, I, I was eight when he died. So a, a lot of this is sort of family lore that I've inherited. And some of it is my own opinions that I formed based on what little I experienced and what little I remember. But I think kind of his thing was because he was used to being the apple of his mother and sister's eyes. I think his dad took off or something too. So he was kind of the only male figure in the family and pretty, mm-hmm. uh, treated pretty well. 
Um, The thing that I remember is uh, he was a bit of a martyr. So if he gave people nice presents at Christmas, if your room wasn't clean in February, he'd tie those things together. Like, I don't understand. I gave you all those nice things for Christmas, and now your your room isn't clean? Like, what is that? (laughs) And in the most uh, vague, broad strokes, every now and then I'll hear even one fraction of that sort of uh, tone come out of my mouth and I'll, I'll even stop myself like, what? no, I'm Colin Fowl. You can't tie those two very different things together in a moment where you're trying to create a pity party for yourself. But it's, it's interesting how some of that stuff is inherited and some of that oh, stuff yeah, is just right? by osmosis and some of it is just baked into who you are. Yeah, I know. It's really interesting. Yeah. Well, and the other thing people don't realize is uh, you have an innate ability and like a crazy skill of knowing where you are, no matter where you are. It's like, pretty good. So, so I'm assuming the fact that your father was a not just a navigator but a successful navigator uh, is is in the in the bones man it's it's something it's interesting like you'll know (laughs) i'm lost all the time when we're on the road like and you're like hey this way you're 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 never lost so it makes me feel like i'm stupid all the time but i'm like no way man there's no way you know the way we're here in victoria and we were like walking around for 20 minutes and all of a sudden you could get back to the hotel with no problem after being completely Turned around 15 times. Well, this like was the thing. Uh, when I first crazy. moved to Toronto and the water was down south, everywhere I'd ever been on the East Coast, the water was east. It's oh, the East Coast. So, that so must have you for a loop that, a bit? Yeah, that, that blew my hair back a little bit when I first got there. Oh. Yeah, because that begs my... I want to know, like, have you ever been lost? Like, in a city? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, like obviously Edmonton, like New York or something. Yeah, Edmonton's an well, easy Edmonton, city because it's yeah. like numbers and um, it's yeah. it's pretty easy to track, pretty grid like. But you know, yeah. there are some cities in Canada that are certainly not like that, and cities in Europe as well. Yeah, like Halifax isn't an easy city to navigate. No, it isn't. It's small. Not at all. It has a you small. You know what's hard? Port. I think maybe the most difficult is Montreal, probably. Yes, because the mountain like, kind of blows so, everything. And yeah, and it's like, it's so old that there's a lot of roads that shouldn't be the, there, <laughs> like the way that it is. And how of them it's kind of like, Yeah, well, and then there's like layers of roads on top of roads. <laughs> so when you're driving in the city, you just feel like you're on this huge loop above houses. <laughs> and everything's under construction, like has been my like, whole life. Yeah, well, yeah, I remember, like, we. I think the last time when we did JFL there, I drove home, and I was like, there's no way I'm getting on the highway normal from here, and I somehow, just by fluke, I'm like, oh, oh my God, I'm, I made it without any problems, I'm actually going, I'm going to Ontario, no sweat here. Yeah, the 20 highway is, uh, um, oh. it's like the Bermuda Triangle of Canadian traffic, in a full I mean, circle I'm sure moment. I'm live there. Yeah. When we yeah. had a TNT show there the night that um, uh, Jared Kiso and Meg came and uh, Bartsy was there, Kyle Bukowskis was also yeah. there, as was our Bud Rod for PEI. But Kyle That's Bukowskis right. was there and he just dropped the word Canadianity yes, on the Sportsnet did. Hockey broadcast this week. Just to start the season, we love that. Was stuff. it ever? That's, it was Kyle's a Bud. It was a thrill to hear it, but also the context in which he used it was the best description of Canadianity, which was, was Jason Spezza saying, it's good to be back in the barn, eh? Yeah. <laughs> which is yeah, about right. the most it Canadian is. statement possible. So thanks yeah, for dropping Canadianity, is. Kyle. It's so cool. It, 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 hey, uh, it, you were, last time we were talking, it was green out there. Have you got some snow yet? Yeah, we have, uh, it's just like a little dusting. Of snow, I got snowshoes for Christmas that I'm fired up to use again, but um, yeah, so, so it's unseasonably far, mild. So far, a little bit warm out there. I think it's supposed to get warmer this week, even. Oh dear. Well, there's people. Wasn't it like plus five in Saskatchewan? Oh yesterday? dear, like just everything's topsy turvy, eh? 
It's all over the place. Except Bob. the one thing that we can't agree on is uh, James and the Giant impeach. Um, no. That's over. Yeah. yeah. There you go. And the last minute, but this is a little bit uh, intense for me. My, my There's an outbreak at my mom's freaking LTC. Yikes. Uh, it's 43 COVID cases. She's okay. They have her in her room. But uh, just alarming and keep keep uh, her in your thoughts everybody it's, uh, for all the people at uh, at her facility um yeah it's uh it's it's a tough time right now in ontario and we're 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 gonna follow the rules and do everything we can to to try and get through this amen so, and yeah as always shout out to the healthcare workers man imagine yeah, on top absolutely. of everything else imagine going to work in that environment every day for the last nine months now bless your hearts yeah. thank you yes Thank you so much, buds. We'll talk to you next week. Good job, bud.